Well, our speaker tonight, his name is Anthony. So, so Anthony, he got saved as a student at the University of Montana. What is the uh, nickname for Montana? Is it the Grizzlies? Yes. Montana Grizzlies. That's a great name. Okay, so anyway, he completed his internship, his campus missionary training internship at the University of Maryland. He worked at UVA for five years, and he has been at Virginia Tech for 10 years. So he's been working for Chi Alpha for 18 years. He's married to Michelle. Michelle and Anthony have been married for 13 years. They have four children. Micah is 10, Ethan is 7, Anna is 6, and Ava is 3. So would you welcome with me Anthony Saldino to Tennessee Breakaway. Micah 6'8 and so we just knew we were going to name him Micah 
And then we decided, Anthony, because we, we believe in prophetically declaring things over our children by, by their name. And we believe those who are like the Lord are priceless. Amen in this generation? And so we, we've named them that. And Micah is one of a kind. The guys that I brought with me can, can speak on my behalf. There's, there's not too many kids like Micah. He's really a unique kid. He retains everything. He's always been like that from the time he's little to the time and now that he's 10 years old. He's, he's just somebody who retains information. We were cleaning the stadium for uh, money for Chi Alpha. Anybody do things like that? Concessions or... Anyway, so we were cleaning the stadium and Michael likes to come, not because he wants to clean the stadium and help us out, but because he runs through the stadium looking for things that are left over. You know, like the people forgot their hats or their glasses or whatever they did in the, the midst of the, the craziness of the game. But one night there was a guy who was studying, he was, he was visiting, I think he went to Liberty, and he was studying history. It happened to be in the same subject that Micah's in, in uh, Roman history. And he had a legitimate conversation with my 10-year-old about what Micah's learning in his homeschool, class collaborative school, and this guy's learning in college. They were able to have this dialogue. And the guy was like, who is this kid? It's because Micah retains information. That's just, it's just unbelievable how he, can, he does that. So anyway, that's Micah. We're so blessed. I'll tell you some more about um, the other ones. If you can, if you think about it, my three-year-old has got a fever for the very first time in her life yesterday. And I don't know about you, but in some ways that kind of gets me excited for what God wants to do this weekend. Because for a child who's never had a fever to then all of a sudden fall feverish right before I'm about to leave for the weekend, I just believe God wants to do big things and the enemy would like to dampen that. You know what I'm saying? And so are you ready? No, I'm sorry. Are you ready? Because yeah. I, I just want, you got to be ready. I think one of the things that facilitates moves of God is the hunger that we have in our hearts for a genuine desire to meet with our Creator. Amen? And Because you already know that He wants to meet with you. Did you know that? That He longs to meet with you. That you are created to have an encounter and a relationship and intimacy with this God. And because of that, He desires to meet with you. So I'm going to pray. Some of you may not be able to close your eyes right now, so keep them open. It's okay. But I'm going to pray and, uh, and ask God to continue to descend in this room. Jesus, we thank you so much for this opportunity to get away from campus and get alone with you. God, but not only get alone with you, but then also experience genuine community in, in the presence of the Almighty God. We thank you that you want to meet with us. God, we thank you, God, that you have a word for us. God, we've come to hear from you. We've come to be transformed by you, God. So we just ask God, that you prepare our hearts. God, that those of us that aren't hungry enough right now to encounter you, God, that you stir hunger within our hearts, God, that we would be desperate for more of you in our life. God, would you stir something within us tonight, God, that God, we would never be the same. We would never be the same. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, Mom and I, we've been married 13 years, and our first year of marriage, I did something that I don't recommend. So, if you're planning on getting married, you might want to take notes, okay? And that is, we led a missions trip, our first year of marriage, to the ends of the earth. We went to Siberia. And here's why this is not good, because I married one of the most holy, angelic, anointed women of God that are out there. Sorry, guys. I got it. And, and I'm just a sinner. <laughs> and we're in Russia, and to the ends of the earth, 
We go to this lake, and we're going to have this youth camp all week. And it's just unbelievable. I mean, the bugs are unreal. I mean, I can almost not even see you because the amount of bugs that are just flying around. Right? By day three, you're so used to it, you don't even see them anymore. Just miraculous. And, my, and we're sleeping in a tent, you know? And so we have this amazing week where we have to push through the elements. And as we get to the end of the week, we see 12 young people come to know Jesus. And it, it was great. Then we get to the city, and we're, we're now uh, where I've been asked to speak at this church. And I, don't, I can't even say hello in Russian. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just can't do this. And so I'm, I was asked to speak, and there's this lady, Natasha. Natasha was going to be my interpreter for this church service. For, and this is going to be, this is kind of like her debut. You know, she's not really done this before. And so here she is. She's, she's excited. There's an excitement within her. Like, this is her moment to actually get up in front of the church and be used by God. And she's excited to have a voice. And, and, and this is her place. And all of a sudden, we get up there and we start talking. And, and, and what I notice is, is as I'm preaching, which, by the way, I've never preached with an interpreter. And so I get carried away. As you can tell, I just start rolling. And so she's getting a little lost. So they're telling me, come on, slow down, slow down. So I'm like, okay, I've got to figure out how to do this because I've never preached with an interpreter. And so as I'm preaching, I slow down a little bit. And what I notice is she's, she's struggling a little bit with some of the words. And it's not necessarily her fault. It's actually because part of it is my fault because I've never spoken with an interpreter. I'm using words that are more difficult for her to interpret. There's a woman in the front row who is also an interpreter, and she corrects her over and over again. About the fifth time, Natasha gets so upset, she beelines for the door. She just is like, I'm, I, I, and I'm like, hi. What do you do? And what's even crazier is that it's like the church doesn't even turn around and watch her walk out. And I'm still sitting there, so the lady in the front row jumps up to take her place. And I'm thinking, can we go on? One of our sisters just walked out the door. Do we go on? And so she's like, no, you got to keep going. So I, so I kept, kept on with the message. But what I found to be interesting is that Natasha, in this moment of desiring to have a voice, in this moment of excitement, to have a voice. The very thing that perhaps maybe she lacked in that moment was humility to receive correction and help. And so the very thing that she desired to have a voice and to serve and to, for the Lord, she, she lost in that moment when she walked out the door. Are you following me? And I believe we live in a generation where everybody is fighting to have a voice. Everybody is, is fighting to have a voice and sing, connected, want to be heard. And so we, we post our religious, our political, our social, economic, and our relationship agenda all over social media, right? We, we want people to know what we think about this, this, and this. Both in pictures and in words. And the irony is the, the harder we try to stay connected, the, the harder we try to communicate via these platforms, our voice is so easily lost in the crowd. And we become more disconnected with people lose touch with ourselves, and most importantly, we lose touch with God. In fact, I would argue that as we are fighting to stay connected, to have a voice, we're actually losing it. We're putting the cart before the horse. 
We're trying to run before we can walk. We are suffering from a focus issue. We are focused, we are suffering from our order issue, a time investment issue. You see, each and every, each and every one of us were made to have a connection. We were made and designed to communicate. We are to speak and to have a voice in this generation. Amen? But like we're trying to soar with eagles before we learn to fly. We're trying to have a voice on earth before we have one in heaven. And I believe with all my heart that God wants each and every one of us to have a voice. But if we don't place our voice and have a voice with heaven before we have a voice on earth, will we really have a voice that impacts earth? You were created for this. Don't lose your voice. But somehow in the busyness of trying to stay connected, we've lost the will, the desire, and the place to have a voice where it counts the most before God. If our voice is to be known in the heavens, if, if our voice is not known in the heavens, how will we have the full potential on earth? If, if our voice is not dripping and so, soaking with the, the kingdom of heaven, how will we have an impact on earth as God desires? on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? And so this weekend, I want to talk about Samuel. I want to, I want to dive into Samuel's life, because this is a man who had a voice in a time that was really dark, and a time where the voice of the Lord was rare. Anybody ever use Legos out here? Okay. Oh, we got some Legos out, Lego people out here. My boys love Legos. And um, what's amazing about Legos is, I was never into that kind of stuff, but what's amazing about them now is that they show up with the step-by-step manual. You guys, you see this? So you get this pile of little blocks, all different shapes, colors, and all this kind of stuff, and within like 10 minutes, my boys have a spaceship, or you know, like, whatever, whatever they're building. And I'm just blown away by this. But what's interesting is that the only way they get the full potential out of the Lego, right, is if they follow the manual. You can't, you can't, Bust open the bag of all the pieces of Legos, throw them out on the table, and jump to, to set 20. And I, what's amazing to me is that even when my kids try to follow the manual, there's moments, and have been moments, where they miss, by accident, a step in the process. And then I'll hear them call from their room, Dad, help me. I don't know what happened. I'm lost. I, I can't figure out. Something's wrong. And well, all right, well, we got to go back we got to examine the manual and see what piece is missing. Because when the piece is missing, it's going to impact the product. Right? And I think just like our desire to have a voice, it's just like this. We want to skip steps 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, all. And we just want to be there and have a voice. But perhaps maybe God wants to take us through a process so that we have a voice that really counts. That we don't skip the process that God has for us. And that we wouldn't try to avoid all of those things. But God, I believe, wants you to have a voice in this generation. Amen? Amen. I believe the Samuels are on the rise. Amen? Yeah. May we find ourselves in 2019 contending for a voice where it really counts. A voice with God. A voice that shakes the heavens for the glory of God and the fame of Christ. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. You guys still with me? Yeah. You ready to dive in? Yeah. I've got one. You go up there. Yeah. Hey, while you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of background of where we are in Israel's history. We're nearing 
the, the time in Israel where it's nearing the, the end of the judges and we're, we're starting to step into the time of the king. In fact, Samuel's life acts as a bridge between the time of the judges and the time of the kings. In chapter 3 of the book, the first, uh, first Samuel describes the time when the word of the Lord was rare. Judges 21-25 describes the time as in those days Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. That everyone did as they saw fit. This was a dark time in Israel's history and everyone did as they saw fit. Isn't it interesting? It's kind of like the times we're living now, isn't it? Where everyone does as they see fit. You do you. Right? You do you, man. You feel it? Go for it. Have it your way. Do whatever you want. It's this kind of this is this kind of generation where we're we're we're, we're paralleling this time in, in Israel's history. It was dark. God's voice was rare. Maybe one of the darkest times. People were embracing sin and idol worship. But just like in all of history, when there was darkness covering the earth, when people were starting to pursue the things that are not of God, there was always a remnant of people that would not bow. They would not bow to idols. They would not give in. They would, they would be separated unto God. And they would stand for the things of God. There was always a remnant of people. And let me just say this before we go further. May you be the remnant of people, no matter how dark this age gets, no matter how difficult things get, that we would see a, a, a generation of men and women that will rise up and take our stand, and we will not bow to what the culture says we should bow to. Amen? And so let's, and when we see a remnant of people who will not bow in 1 Samuel. If your Bibles, this is what the word of the Lord says. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramathian Zippin, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihi, the son of Tuhu, the son of Zuth. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and he, the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two, two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Can you say that with me? Hannah rose. Elkanah was a God-fearing man. He was a faithful man who would lead his family well. In a time of darkness, in a time when the word of the Lord was rare, in a time where there was very few people that would honor God, he was the man. He was the man who would lead his family to the 
house of worship and to make the sacrifices year by year, it says. Now, we, what we need to take note, first of all, he had two wives. Not recommended. <laughs> Not recommended. And as we will see here, the story of strife and competition seems to always follow polygamy in the Bible. Elkanah loved Hannah and tried to express his love to her by giving her a double portion of the Thanksgiving offering. Hannah had children and Hannah was barren. Now what you need to understand is to be barren in this time frame was, was looked down upon. Unable to, when you were unable to have children in this culture where motherhood really defined you, it was a problem. In fact, motherhood was a place of significance and a place of identity for women at that time. Women who were barren during that time period were ridiculed by other women. They were suspect of sin, thought to be as cursed, and they would experience rejection. I wonder if there's anybody here who can relate. Not so much about being barren, but have you ever been ridiculed? Have you ever been misunderstood? Have you ever been misrepresented? Have people gossiped about who you are and thought things about you that are not true? If so, let's pay attention. This is exactly how Hannah feels and what she's experiencing on a regular basis. And you know what's interesting is that she seems to be reminded of all the more as she presses in and draws near to God. Isn't that interesting? We see that Hannah would provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord has closed the womb. Now you also got to understand, it says that she had sons and daughters, plural, right? Which means this has been going on for years. Even if she had just two sons and two daughters. We're talking about a time frame that could easily been at least five years. Could, could you have thought and, and can you imagine with me what it's like to be provoked, to, to, to have someone that stands and rubs things in your face, and then as you are trying to get to the one place, the one place that you find peace, the one place that you can find significance, which is the house of God, which is your creator, he's the only one that brings that, and if you're going to go there, and that's the moment where it seems like the voices get louder. Isn't that interesting? I think we could probably relate to that as well. That as we're trying to press into the Lord, voices start arising. And some of those voices can be people in, in relationships that we have. That, that, that friends are like, why are you going to go to that breakaway thing? You're going to miss out on what's happening back on campus. So if you push through, we're glad you're here. But let's be honest, there's probably some of our friends that didn't make it because of the voices that started rising as they were, they were trying to move towards their breakthrough, trying to move towards the presence of God. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be harassed like Hannah was harassed basically in her own home and then on the way to worship the Lord. The voices that would cry out, come on, God's not going to do anything. Why would you go do that? You're broken. Isn't it God that closed your womb? Why would he respond to you now? All the things that Peninnah could have been throwing at her. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we have to fight through those voices. It says that Hannah is so distraught that she cannot eat. 
her husband who loves her and is probably just trying to, to fix the problem, right? Just, it's just like husbands. We just, when, when our wives aren't doing good, we just want to fix the problem. And so here he's like, man, giving her a double portion, trying to express his love and his care for her. Even, even the questions he asked her aren't going to move her because she's so distraught and so grieving over the process of, of not having significance and not being able to, to be a mother in this moment. But what's so powerful about this story is that it takes an amazing twist. What we don't understand is here she's in this circumstantial pit. She's in this place of despair, and she's in this place of depression, and she's literally grieving over the loss of not being able to have a child. And it says after they were done eating and drinking, Hannah rose. Friends, if there's one application you take away tonight, it's that we need to contend to rise again. We have to contend to rise in the midst of our grief, discouragement, and despair. We have to rise from the ashes. Hannah fought to get to God. She fought through her circumstances and through her feelings to get before God in prayer. If we are really honest again, we have to understand that our circumstances will never make it easier to get to God. Circumstances will never make it easier. The way we feel will never make it easier. We have to push through all of that to get to God. This is why it's about contending. It's a rolling up the, the sleeves and fighting through what we feel or what we don't feel. Fighting through the voices or the silence to get before God because it's the one place that makes the difference. Bob Sorge says this, the most violent thing you will ever do is a car timeout in your schedule in order to get to God. You see, in a generation where everything is clamoring for your attention and your affection, there's literally people that sit around thinking, how can I engage this generation? When in, instead of, so here's the reality, if there's people literally sitting around, around tables and boardrooms thinking, how do we grab hold of their attention? How do we suck them in? How do we pull them in? You got to sit before the feet of Jesus so you don't get pulled in. You've got to sit before the, before the throne room and say, God, I want you more than anything else, but you've got to carve time out when you're dead. I, I, again, I can't, I can't say this enough. Look how the enemy turns up the heat as Hannah is setting out to the house of God. How many times are we on the, on the way to a prayer meeting, on the way to Bible study, and all of a sudden things seem to just go haywire, right? You just want to get there, but man, things seem to come against you as you start pressing into the things of God. It's because the enemy, your rival, doesn't want you to encounter God. The enemy doesn't want you to have breakthrough. The enemy loves seeing Christians miserable in their circumstantial pit. He doesn't want them climbing out. He may have lost your soul, but if he can keep you from the joy of our salvation, he gets some kind of delight out of that. I love this about her. That even though this was a year-by-year -year thing, Hannah did not let her despair, discouragement, depression keep her from getting to God so that he could hear her voice. What are you fighting to get to? God with what is What seems to be the thing that keeps you from getting to God? What is that thing? What is, what is the circumstance, perhaps, in your life? Perhaps that circumstantial pit that you find yourself is in is broken relationship. Perhaps it's loneliness, financial hardship, parents going through a divorce, depression, 
persecution, abuse, anxiety, fear, panic attacks, addictions. I was even thinking about, man, what are circumstances that are sometimes so far outside of our control? But they've got you gripped. Perhaps some of you grew up in homes that were without a father. And you've struggled to find significance and value because of that reality. But there's a heavenly father. It's just come. Come, don't let your circumstances keep you from my that presence. Perhaps some of us have been doing this religious thing for so long that we kind of have a what if. I mean, like a whatever. You know, like here, I'm here, but you know, God doesn't speak to me. I've been doing this for 10 years, or you know, this Christian thing, but God just doesn't speak to me. And push through what you're what you've known to this point. Push through. There's a God who wants to meet with you here. And he loves you. Hannah rose from her low place and she got before God. You know, as Chuck was saying, my story, I came to know Christ in Montana. I was at a university student in this small school in Jersey, and I played soccer for them, and my life was taken by so many different things. I grew up going to church, but I didn't know God. I grew up going to church, but I didn't know God. And here I am, and I, I, started, I started down this path where I was addicted to a whole bunch of stuff. I was living with my girlfriend, totally sexually immoral. I was a mess. And things that I never wanted to be doing, I found myself doing. And so God takes me, by the grace of God, God, God like snatches me out of there. And he brings me to the University of Montana, Jersey to Montana. And I'm, while I lived in this state, I didn't believe cowboys existed. I get to this state and realize, whoa, they're real. You know? And then all of a sudden about real mountains. I saw real mountains for the first time. The majesty of God was revealed. You know what I'm saying? And I walked into a Kyle meeting. The presence of God was so real. Transformed my life. Well, the problem with that is I needed to go back to New Jersey where I didn't know believers. And I go back to this, this season of my life where, man, people knew me as the, the captain of the soccer team, the party guy, the, you know, the, the fun, the life of the party. And here I am. I get back and and man, I love Jesus. And they were so upset with me. But I was lonely. I mean, I was so lonely, guys. I went home every weekend. My senior year was my fifth year, because I was an athlete, so I won five rounds. But <laughs> like, I know that. Anyway, uh, as, I, as, I, as I go back to school, I was so discouraged, and I kept asking God, why would you be, make me leave Montana? I, I, I'm not even kidding. I went home every weekend, and on my way back to school, I remember crying multiple times and literally asking for the Lord to come back so that I didn't have to go back to this place of loneliness. Nobody got me. I didn't have a friend anymore. And I remember I was driving back one day and the, the Lord was, was speaking to me. And he said, why don't you start praying? I said, start praying? I don't know anybody. He said, I want you 
want you to start prayer meeting, and I don't want you to pray in your room in the morning anymore. I want you to walk across campus to that building, and I want you to pray in that room. And I'm thinking, why? It's so much warmer next to my bed on my knees. You know what I'm saying? And, and, but the Lord just kept pressing this on me, and I was disobedient for a couple days, and I said, fine, I hear you. I'll start this prayer meeting. But no one else is coming, God, because I don't know any other believers here. And I just felt like, in hindsight, I was like, he was just smiling. I know, I'm God. So I would get up, you know, 5.30 every morning, and I'd make a trek across campus, and I'd sit in this room, falling out from the walk across campus, and I'd sit there, and it'd be me and the Holy Spirit. We'd just be praying. I'm like, wow, that was fun. So the next day I do it again, and the next day I do it again, and the next day I do it again. But what I notice is, is as I fought to give to God, even though the prayer meeting never grew and there was nobody else there but me and God, that, that act of obedience and that fight to get before God started to shift the way that I felt. I knew I wasn't alone anymore. Though I was physically alone in the sense of other community, the Holy Spirit had me walk across campus because it's that walk across campus to a different place that just had me meeting with Him in that moment. It was just, it was just a unique way God wanted to get my attention to, to help me realize that it's about getting, getting to God, pushing through the feelings of loneliness, pushing through my circumstances, and not letting my circumstance define me or keep me or hold me back. But pressing through because God is on the move. Amen? Hannah breaks through and she gets before God. In a time when the voice of the Lord was rare, Hannah overcame her grief, her despair, and she got to God. May that be an example for all of us. Picking up in the scripture, in verse, <clears throat> the rest of verse 9 says, Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. <clears throat> and she bowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink. But I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant you your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. The next thing I want us to, to take away from this passage is we need to contend to confess. 
Say that with me, contend to confess. Contend to confess. One more time, come on, I want to hear, I want to make sure you're still with me. Contend to confess. All right. If we want to have a voice that shakes the heavens and the earth, we have to fight for vulnerability before God and godly counsel. First Daniel, verse 10 through 11, she was deeply distressed and praised the Lord and wept bitterly. She was raw and real before God. I mean, she didn't hold anything back. She was so distraught that she let it all out on the table before God. Man, she wept bitterly. She let out her emotions. She let God know exactly how she felt about the fact that, that he closed her womb. She didn't hold anything back. She was okay with understanding that God could handle her emotion. He could handle her grief. He could handle her despair. He could handle it. She, she understood that she could go to him. What, what I find to be so interesting is that we struggle as humans to be raw and vulnerable with God. Time and time again, I have prayed with people at the altar, and I, could, I almost can feel it on them, that they're holding it back. It's like they don't want to cry. So they don't, they, don't, they don't want to get real. Maybe it's just because they don't want to get snotty, but they just, they just don't want to get real with God. And, and time and time again, I, I, I've been praying on people, and I said that, come on, man, you got to let it go. you got to let it go. And as they start to let it go, oh man, there's a freedom that begins to be released. As they let out the rawness of the pain and the way that they feel and the despair and the grief, all of a sudden it's like there's a freedom that comes with it. I don't know why, but it's like, man, I, if I could be with, just real with God in those moments. You see, Hannah does the right thing. She rises and she gets before God and then she's just so real and raw with God. This is why in those times we need to turn to, oftentimes turn to the Psalms and just be real with God. You see the psalmist over and over and over again. They're so real with God. Why can't we be real with God? He can handle it. Well, let's be honest. Here, here's the deal. There's only two options in the midst of grief and despair. We either turn from God and blame Him and run away, or we run to Him. And think about it. It's really, in so many ways, foolishness for us to run away from the one who can bring comfort who can bring healing, who can bring significance to our life, who can, who's, who's created us. I mean, it's silly, but the enemy is really crafty, and he likes to blame God for everything. And humanity always falls for it. They love to blame God for everything, and they listen to the enemy. In this situation, the Bible says that God closed her womb. But here's the other flip of the coin. If God closed her womb, it's, he's also the one that can open it. Amen? And so she does the right thing. If, if God is sovereign, if God is the one who sits on the throne, then, then he's also the one that in our grief and in our midst and in our struggle and in our circumstantial pits and whatever it is that we're in, we can go to God because he's the one that is able to help us become overcome the pit, overcome and get out of whatever it is that we're in. He's the one that can set us free. If it's a sin issue, listen, friends, the cross is bigger than your sin issue. 
I'll keep going. This is, this is the reality. The enemy wants to keep you from the very one who has the power to set you free. When you fight to confess before God, there's something powerful about releasing everything you feel to the one who made you. You see Hannah in her real and raw genuine encounter with God as she comes before God as she, she, she begins to express herself. She makes a vow. But this is a sincere vow. It's not the kind of vow that so many of us make that when we come to God we try to manipulate Him. You know, we're like, well God, if you do this, then I'll serve you for the rest of my life. If I just get this A in organic chemistry, I will serve you for the rest of my life. Let's be honest. We, we, we try to manipulate God. God is not going to be mocked and cannot be manipulated. You see, as Hannah comes, she comes humbly before God. You, we've got to humble ourselves in the reality of where we're at and say we are broken. We are people that need help. And as we come humbly before God, as Hannah comes humbly before God, she begins to see a change. And that's why as she comes home before God, she's also able to make a vow that's sincere, not out of trying to manipulate. And think about how radical this is. The very thing that has her grieving is the fact she doesn't have a son, so she comes before God and asking for a child, and she says, you know what, if you give me this child, I'm going to vow him back to you for life. Powerful. Listen, a vow at that time was a voluntary promise which, once made, were to be kept if the thing was vowed was right. If the thing vowed was right. Deuteronomy 23, 21 says, When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for it would be sin in you, and the Lord your God will surely require it of you. This was no, in that day, this was no like, you know, like just happenly throw it out like, like we do so often just throw words out and don't really mean them. Now when you vow something, this is a promise you make before God, and if it's not fulfilled, it's seen as sin. Serious business. And, and this is also challenging for us, because we live in a culture where when we make a vow, when we make a promise, we so easily don't hold them up. We don't uphold the vow. That's why we have divorce all over the place. Because people don't take their vows seriously. This is a Proverbs 20, 25 tells us it's a trap to dedicate something rashly and only later consider your vow. We see Hannah serious because she literally gave Samuel over to God. We'll, we'll discover more of that later. But Hannah doesn't just stop there. Hannah gets real and raw with Eli, which is amazing. Because Eli makes a mistake and says and calls her a drunk woman. Right? Now, you've got to understand that because the days were dark, it was normal for drunk women to come into the tabernacle. It, 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 was, it was normal for that to happen, for them to come before God. And so Eli saw this over and over again, which is why he assumes that she's drunk, because she's pouring out her soul and nothing's coming out of her mouth but her mouth's moving. And so he just assumes this. But here's the powerful thing. 
Hannah doesn't get offended. And the reason why she doesn't get offended by someone who is to be the priest, the one who acts on behalf, you know, goes to God on behalf of the people, is because she humbled herself before God already. Because she was already humbling herself before God when she when she started having this interaction before Eli, she was able to respond and not and not get offended. But she she she's like, no, my Lord. And she had this powerful moment, this dialogue with Eli, where she again confesses the reality and the state of her being. There's power in confessing. There is so much power in, in confessing to our biblical authority, our, our friends, our life group leaders, our small group leaders, our staff, there's so much power in that. When we have godly counsel in our life, we need to we need to take advantage of that more. I don't think we live in a generation where people people again, our culture tells us we, we shouldn't share everything with everybody. Right? We have to be careful. But there needs to be some people in your life, mentors in your life, disciples in your life, people who are pouring into your life that you don't hold things back. Don't put the mask on anymore. We're, we're in a culture where we learn to put the mask on through social media. Hey, look at my life. It's amazing. It's great. I have no issues. And we also put the mask on face to face. How you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, you walk into your tight. Great, 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 great. Everybody's great. Because nobody's real. Because we're hiding We've got to stop doing this thing where we try to be Christians that are fake. Because God's looking for a generation that's going to be real and authentic. I'm not perfect. Because there's only one that's perfect, and his name is Jesus. So why are we trying to pretend to be perfect? This is what, I mean, we, we see this, and this is, and we also disqualify people. We disqualify people. We do this. I'm not going to confess to you because you didn't text me back fast enough. You didn't answer my phone call. I'm not going to confess to you because you don't get what I'm going through. You've never known what it's like to be me. We make excuses for people. And when we fail to confess our sin and our burden to others because we, we, we put this on them like they're not going to get it, we're walking in the spirit of control and not surrender. We're walking in a spirit of pride and nothing will be accomplished when we walk in the spirit of pride and control. We had this one student who came to us a little while ago and basically told us that they were completely offended. Now, she had been two years graduated and the staff member that was her mentor, she had no, she's no longer with us. And this, this student came to us and was like, I'm really upset. I, I've got some bitterness towards so-and-so. And, and so we said, okay, let me get this straight. You're, you're bitter because you felt like, and this is what she said, I'm bitter because they didn't challenge me enough. They didn't love me enough to challenge me enough. And so it was interesting because as they, she started to, well, she didn't realize that she's confessing really an issue. <laughs> she didn't realize this in this moment as she's sitting down with us, she's really starting to begin to confess. Because for so long, for two years, she held this bitterness in of, about the staff person. 
And so here she is. She's, she's confessing to us. And in that confession, what was happening was we were able to bring some truth to help her see that really the things that she was holding against the staff member weren't really valid. And all of a sudden, there was a freedom and a joy. And she, she was like, whoa. I feel so much better. Why? Because there was this moment of confession of finally telling us how she felt about something and we were able to speak into her life. This is why confession is such a powerful thing. Is because as we get it off our chest, two things can happen. One, we just need to confess. When it's sin, it's sin. It just needs to get out because it holds power over you until it gets out. Right? Jesus doesn't tell you to confess your sins to one another to expose you and shame you. No, he wants you to, to no longer be held captive by it when it comes into the life. Amen? Secondly, I think he wants you to confess your sins to one another because he wants you to confess your sins to people who have godly counsel and can help you walk through this reality. Amen? And so that's why this is so important. And we've got to fight for it because our culture tells us we're, some people aren't worthy of our voice. Some people aren't qualified to hear what we're really walking through and that people don't really care about us. Our culture teaches us to control our voice in certain ways. And so I'm telling you, there's a generation that needs to be awakened that will not allow things to go undercover and for us to be the imposter, but that we would begin to be real and raw in the community of God. Amen? The church is to be a hospital where people who are sick come and are healed. This is what Jesus came for. So why do we pretend? To have it all together. Why do we have to, Why do we pretend? We have the band come back. What's amazing? <clears throat> what's amazing about this is after Hannah not really having a voice in the sense that as she's praying to God, like it's silent. Eli can't hear that. She, he, he's not impacted by this prayer. It's also amazing that Eli doesn't even know what she's praying for. It's like, God's going to grant it. And we know that she has a baby later named Samuel. We'll learn about him tomorrow. But in chapter 2, Hannah has not only her breakthrough with her son, but there is this song that is penned in Scripture. There's this amazing song that is, is penned in Scripture. And it's so powerful that she goes from not having a voice to having a voice on earth. And it's still making an impact today because it's penned in Scripture. But let me also give you some, some ways this, this was used. In Judaism, the song of Hannah is re regarded as the prime role model for how to pray. And is read on the first day of Rosh Hashanah as the Hathar. Also, the poem has several features in common with the Magnificent, which was sung in early Christian circles and continues to be regularly sung or said in many Christian denominations. And a number of scholars believe that Luke used the song of Hannah for the basis of the Magnificent. And obviously, of course, we get to read it today. Come on, talking about having a voice that gets to shake the earth. This is what we're looking for. This is what God is looking for. A generation that will have a voice before him and then a voice that shakes this earth. 
I believe God is raising up a generation. That this is the generation that has the potential to have the most powerful voice. Come on. But it's going to take getting before God. It's going to take fighting, contending to arise out of your circumstance and into the presence of God. It's going to take a commitment to confess, to fight to confess, to fight to be real. When the world is being like, you're foolish. Here's, can I just be honest with you? You know how many times in my years of Kyle there will be a moment, breakthrough moment in a life group, or a breakthrough moment in a discipleship moment where someone confesses something they've never shared before, and then all of a sudden, we never see that person again. You know why? Because in that moment, the enemy came flooding in and said, you idiot! You! You let them know. Now what do they think about you? And really, they just love you and care for you and want to see you made whole. But the enemy is so crafty. You've got to rise up off that. He's a liar. He's a liar. Listen, for Samuel to be born, a man who bridged the gap between the judges and the king, a man who was going to have a voice in his generation as a prophet, there's a whole lot of warfare over him coming about. And he was brought about by prayer. His life. Because Hannah was willing to rise above and push through her despair, through her grief. Samuel came forth. So tonight, before we go any further, I don't know if you realize this, but there's a God who loves you, and he wants relationship with you. So much so that he sent his son to die for you on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And he rose three days later, conquered sin, death, and the grave. His name is Jesus, and there is no other name in which men can be saved. So perhaps maybe you're here tonight, and you actually are in one of those circumstantial pits and you've been trying to climb out for far too long in your own strength, in your own power, well, there's one who extends his hand to you tonight and says, just come, let me pick you up and out. Come with me, and I will give you eternal life, and I will walk with you in this intimate relationship that I purchased on the cross to have with you. And so if you're here tonight and you say, that's me, I want to give my life to Jesus. I recognize after our time in worship and in his presence that, that he is real and I want to give my life to Jesus and surrender my life to him. If that's you, then just slip your hand up right now. I just want to thank you. Come on, let's give it up. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, God. Anyone else out there that says tonight's gonna I wanna I wanna give my life to Jesus? stand together. I want to encourage you guys. I know, I know as we as we step into this moment, we're gonna press through a little bit longer, press through a little bit longer for this moment here. You guys can begin to play. But as our, our brother came home tonight, we're just gonna to say this, this quick prayer together. 
and then I'm going to encourage you to see what your staff member from your campus, and then we're going to respond to this, and we're going to respond to this message. So can we all pray this together? Just repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Enough to send your son to die in my place on that cross. Thank you that he rose three days later. Conquer and sin, death, and the grave. That sin no longer has power over me. The wages of sin, which is death, no longer has power over me. Tonight I accept what you did on the cross. And I invite you in to be the Lord of my life. Forgive me, God. Take my life. So God, we just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Now, I believe there's some people here tonight. As these guys are playing, we're going to open up these altars. Listen, I believe there's some people here tonight that, that you find yourself in that. So you've given your life to Jesus, but you are in a pit. You're in a pit where there is depression and despair and grief. And it, it comes from this place of, of just dealing with stuff and, and perhaps maybe you start to buy into lies of the enemy. Like, man, God really doesn't care. If he really did care, then why are you struggling in these areas of your life? Perhaps it's loneliness. One of the ways that I see the enemy really grab hold of believers is that is through depression. I believe there's probably some people here who have, have some, some forms of depression in your life and you've never voiced it out because Christians aren't supposed to be dealing with depression. Tonight, I want to encourage you to come to the altar to get on your face and you give that to God. Get, just give it to God. If that's you, that you would push past the voices, the feelings, the numbness, or the silence that has been created from your circumstance, and you would get to God tonight. You see, Hannah had a move. She had to rise up from that dinner table, and she pressed in to God. And I just encourage you tonight. There's some of you that need to rise up. You need to get to God. You need to move. And God is going to meet you. God is going to meet you. Perhaps there's some fatherless here. And you've really felt like, man, your life has been such a, there's been a, almost like a disadvantage. You've really struggled with this reality that you've had with significance or maybe abandonment. There's some people that are in this, this circumstance of abandonment and you're, maybe your parents split and, you're, and you just feel abandoned and, and the enemy's lied to you and you, you believe that it's your fault. That it's solely your fault. Listen, that's not true. I believe you need to come to the altar. Just, just get before God. Your heavenly Father wants to meet with you here. Also, I believe that there's some people here who really struggled with this place of significance and having worth. And that really comes from there's something that happened to you as, as, as a child, maybe some kind of abuse. And, and you're in this, this pit that feels worthless. And you even know God, but you're like, man, God, how could you allow that to happen? And now I feel so damaged. And this is, this is just continued lies of the enemy. And the, the Lord saying, come, my daughter, 